0: Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn-Matthews, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asfalis Advisors. Today we have an accomplished guest and a new friend talking about important issues affecting campus public safety. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, Philip Johnson. He's the managing partner of Philip A. Johnson & Associates. Good morning, Phil.
1: Hi, good morning, uh, Vanessa. So nice to be with you and to see you again, thanks.
0: So we had an opportunity to meet through another colleague that's the reputation management business. And with the work that I do in crisis management and, and resilience and with your background in higher education and public safety, And everything that's been going on between COVID-19, law enforcement, civil unrest, they recommended that you and I should have a uh, engaging conversation on the podcast. So thanks so much for joining
1: us. It is my pleasure.
0: So can, can you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit more about you and what you do in the arena of campus public safety?
1: Sure. So Vanessa, I'm recently retired from the University of Notre Dame, where for uh, 33 years uh, I worked in campus public safety as uh, assistant uh, deputy chief and then uh, chief of police for nine, almost 10 years, and then moved up to senior director of campus safety and emergency management. So nearly four decades of work in campus public uh, safety and security field. Uh, Before retirement, I was engaged in helping others. Uh, a, a loose group of colleagues and came together and would, would help other institutions addressing issues that they have around organizational development or campus public safety issues more broadly and was happy to be a part of consultancies that that I think have made a difference in moving our profession forward.
0: Oh, this is amazing and I'm, I'm glad to uh, hear more about your experiences. It's one thing when you read someone's bio, it's something else when they get to explain it themselves. So thank you so much and I'm excited to tap into your experience. So um, there's a lot going on in 2020. <laughs> Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on what are the most important issues right now that's affecting safety, emergency management, and resilience in uh, campus public safety now?
1: Sure. You know, the issues that are uh, in front of campus public safety, some are maybe unique for for higher ed, but many of them cross boundaries and other industry or organizations, including the area of municipal public safety. But it's an understatement to say that the pandemic in higher education uh, is consuming nearly all the time of the lives of my colleagues in, in public safety and related fields. But as there's a commercial on TV that says, wait, there's more? Um, there is a lot, so much more going on, and I, I kind of frame it in four buckets. Certainly, um, this all COVID, all the time is important and consuming. We're looking at a pandemic that is bringing on other issues. How do we respond to other crises in the in the pandemic? It'd be one thing to have civil unrest or protests, fires and floods and hurricanes, but all in the sense of the, of the pandemic brings on added complexity. And, and, um, you know, the the requirement to not be a fear monger. There's enough of that going around. Second bucket, bucket that I had was there are opportunities in the midst of the troubles. You know, there, there are invitations for all of us to reimagine campus public safety or in a municipal setting or a county setting, how we provide uh, public safety services. We all have opportunities in the midst of every crisis, I think. Now, that sounds a little bit Polyandry, and if I'm, I'm sure there's a viewer that's going, "Oh my gosh, what is he talking about?" But look, these calls for reforms, the invitation to understand more and to be uh, in tune with what's being advanced by Black Lives Matters, the calls for defunding of the police, relationships between municipal police and colleges and universities—all are in front of us. So, the third bucket is maintaining resilience of your community, the university community or your larger community, as this pandemic continues to unfold. We'd like this to be over just as a television show is over in 60 minutes. All wrapped up, the mystery solved. It ain't so. Uh Vanessa, I also see the area of enhanced collaboration and shared services on, on the radar. When I talk about collaboration, I'm thinking about the Disaster Resilient University Group that Andre LeDuc at the University of Oregon so generously supports, the University and College Caucus of IAEM, and then the International Association of Campus Law Enforcement, the Police Executive Research Forum, the IACP, to name a few. We need each other. So this is a time not to pull back from any of those, but this is a time to be expanding who's helping you and expanding your universe. In the face of the increased pressures for funding that we're all gonna face, particularly in higher education, I think it's an inevitable that we start exploring cost saving opportunities with other IHEs, uh, maybe in your community or your region. Lots on the plate of campus public safety.
0: There is lots on the plate. So I think I heard four things. One is all things COVID. Well, There's more. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's all things COVID and then what COVID creates. Two is there is opportunity in trouble and in chaos. And I think it's up to us to be able to position ourselves to see that as a, the third thing you said was to maintain community resilience, which is the conversation of unity, trust, leadership. And then the fourth thing you said was enhance collaboration. So you, you mentioned a great two words, defunding the police. I guess that's three. And um, I was with a group of friends a while back, probably two or three months ago when those conversations started to, to come up and we were all African-Americans. And it was 15 of us. And none of us could agree on what defunding the police meant.
1: <laughs> well, 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 therein lies the critical importance of all to we having dialogue, to be listening, to be trying to come together around this issue. You know, and you have to be careful about our reaction to that. I mean, on its face, we might just say, well, that's just crazy. We can't defund the police. We need the police. I appreciate the police will come and help me in an emergency. But how we police, the, the, the defund police means much, much more. Yes, and, and yes. we all need to have a dialogue around that and we need to do that in, in our communities and our neighborhoods and you know I, I remind people in America, we're, we're public, we get to be the police because people say we could be the police when when we're policing.
0: Yeah, um, let me ask you this. What do you think about how defunding the police, which from my understanding, it's about taking use of force resources and reallocating those dollars to other parts of the community that need them more like education What are your thoughts in terms of how the concept of defunding the police would impact higher education campus public safety
1: I think that the model there is a bit different from from our municipal and county counterparts. I think is, uh, you know, you look at cities in general, they're gonna be spending well over 50% of their budgets in public safety areas probably. And that is not true in higher education. Mm-hmm. So I think the impact will be around defunding of police is connected to issues like use of force and accountability and how we respond to complaints and how we prioritize values. So defunding police means a lot of different things to a lot of a lot of people. It's going to have a greater impact if you know you say we're going to eliminate police positions, mm-hmm. we're going to make cuts in the police budgets in a city or a county. I hear chiefs and sheriffs saying I'm going to go to training. Um, that's going to be one of the things that's cut first. And that seems to me to be really bad because that's probably the thing we need most. The other thing is if layoffs happen, they're typically first in or last in, first out. So all the efforts of the recent years that have brought us somewhat greater diversity in many departments would see us losing the officers that may be bringing the greatest promise for cultural changes in police service.
0: So I know we have a couple more minutes for this podcast and I've got, I, I think one or two more questions that I can ask you. Um, to obtain an, an equitable workforce and community, resources have to be allocated and funded. What can leaders in higher education do to develop capacity to address crises?
1: Vanessa, the uh, leadership really matters. And so that leadership is about making all the people in your organization feel important and tied in and and part of your institutional mission and your values and the culture. Because I think that that is uh, critical to carrying the Day. Plans are really important, emergency plans. Nothing beats a great EOP. If you don't have people who are gonna show up and who are gonna be engaged in carrying out that plan and being creative and being tough and digging in, boy, it's hard to make that EOP really come to life. So what can you do? I mean, I think there are organizational things that any great organization wants to do in the development and the engagement of their their teams, keeping training going, uh, uh, helping people thrive in this COVID time. Then there's some things that we have to do that are more tactical around practice of emergency plans and practicing uh, our operations virtually so that if we want to run an EOC virtually, or how does your policy committee at the institution prepare for the risks that you're facing? And, and, and will you do that in the face of COVID? Will you be able to take time annually to consider what else might be going on and how you're prepared as a senior leader to engage people and your process?
0: So Phil, we've talked a lot about leadership. We talked about the importance of trust um, and the things that organizations can do as well as what they can do individually. I personally talk to people within the industry who are uncomfortable with leading with diversity, equity and inclusion. Whether they're in the field of resilience, whether they are in the field of business or whether they are in the field of law enforcement, many people, quite frankly, that don't look like me have been concerned about if I lead with diversity, then how will my colleagues, how will other white men and women approach me or react to me if I lead with this? So my last question for you is what is your approach to professional development and lifelong learning in diversity, equity, and inclusion?
1: Well, it is just as you say, um, uh, the value of lifelong learning that can help us all. Also being able to uh, acknowledge vulnerabilities. And to say, I'm not a perfect person, and I need to be better, and I can be better, and I'm going to keep working hard and continue to be successful and change where I need to. So those are the first things of being honest with yourself, I think. So, you know, you said something, though, Vanessa, that I want to look at that. There are people who are concerned about stepping up to lead about diversity. Myself as a, a white man, you know, how do I speak with any authority whatsoever on, on issues around diversity? But I do, and I can and will and continue to learn but there are others who are afraid they don't want to speak up because they don't want to lose the support of some group of people and that's a whole different issue so i'm going to address the first part where where we have good intentions and we have people who want to to be better leaders and you have to show up and you have to participate and lead by example that old saying is i can't hear you your actions are speaking too loudly is really important. What do you do, and what is is it you're doing that's meaningful and not just performative? I may have shared, Vanessa, that one of the impactful activities in my life was going through the 28 day workshop of Layla Sad dealing with white privilege and white, it's titled White Supremacy in Me, and, and, and how impactful that is. I, earlier in my career, I've gone through a number of training, and we've put departments through training uh, around you know, equity and policing, diversity, but you can't see this as a one and done. You've got to look at this as lifelong learning and development. As a leader, you have to show up, you have to listen, you have to engage, and you have to be patient, but relentlessly requiring and leading change.
0: Well said, sir. Very, very well said. So where can our listeners find you, number one? And then number two, do you have any closing remarks you'd like to share?
1: Well, um, you can reach me at l l c at gmail.com. Uh, I just in closing want to say, Vanessa, thank you. Thank you for doing these podcasts that are helping us all look more broadly, um, that are helping us think more about the future and what we can be together. We all stand together. And anything that you can do, anything that any of our viewers or listeners can do, um, to build bridges and to tear down silos or polarization around the differences that we have is really critical for the future and our generations. And I ask all of us, what do we want to leave as our legacy? Huh? And as leaders, what are we thinking of for the succession of our organization and what will that look like? So thanks again. Great podcast. Really excited. <laughs> awesome. I'm honored to be here. Honored to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, we are honored to have you. Um, Bill, Phil shared words that I really agree with. I come from the mindset that leaders want to leave a legacy. And so I think that's so important. So thanks for tuning in to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast with the Disaster Recovery Journal and as far advisors. Subscribe, share, download, and look
1: out for future episodes.